This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, this is a regular segment that we've been doing, talking about real people in real situations who you've helped out. Mm -hmm. We talk about the housing market a lot and have over the months, but there's a huge segment, and this is, I think, really significant for our listener to pay attention to, a big segment of our population who rent who are directly impacted um, by this retail market or this housing market, but don't even have a a hope in heck of ever getting into it. So what are the kinds of things that renters, um, or what do you think the kinds of things are that renters face on a regular basis, Blair? Yeah, so I'm really happy with this segment of links. I called, you know, the monthly client roundup. So we'll talk about a couple general things that we're seeing, and then I'll give you a couple of detailed examples of people that we've helped. And yeah, definitely from the general point of view, rental costs are escalating like crazy these days. It's really blowing me away. Um, you know, I've been with Sands, you know, almost 10 years now. Um, and when I joined, you know, we were always benchmarking people's costs, you know, basically about a third, you know, 30 to 35% of your after-tax take-home income. Um, that's a good best practice in terms of how much you should be spending on rent. Um, I've been just keeping track in the last couple of weeks, and there's almost nobody I've seen in my Vancouver office that's actually spending that amount of money on rent. Most of the time, it's north of 50%, if you can believe it. And that's crazy, because that's a formula for not disaster, but not for somebody who wants to save money and have a decent kind of lifestyle doing the things they love to do. 50% is a crazy amount of money, especially in rent. Yeah. And if, you know, just throwing out some real numbers here, like I'm seeing folks that are, you know, maybe netting $2,400 per month of, again, after-tax take-home pay, and their rental cost is $1,300 or $1,500. Like, it's it's just astronomical now. And, and, you know, people are doing it because they love living in Vancouver, uh, but for how long is my question. So, I, you know, I really get uh, a little discouraged as I think in the long term, you know, house prices went up massively and the rental, you know, rental rates, of course, had to increase as people have to be able to get their return on their investment. Uh, but I just don't know where it's going. I'm seeing so many clients north of 50%. So yeah, I wish I had some upside here. But but other than that, yeah, it, it's it's not it's not a good thing in Vancouver right now with rental costs. Well, I think I think reality is really important. Mm-hmm. I think the more that we face reality, the easier things can be, right? Because there's yeah. no sort of happy pie in the sky kind of way of looking at it. Now, the other thing that you noted here is about student loans. What yeah. do we need to pay attention about that for those renters? Well, yeah, and, and this, so not necessarily con, um, specific to those who rent, you know, those who own their, their home as well. It could could be, but what I'm seeing is that individuals are a lot better informed these days that they actually do have some options about student loans. Nice. So I'm having people come into my office and, you know, I start to go through, well, there is a seven-year waiting period from the time you were a student to when you can actually restructure that debt. And we start to talk about it and they say, you know what, Blair, we're aware of that. We did our research and now, you know, it's been seven years and two months and we know we can now deal with this debt. Oh, interesting. So anyone that's listening out there that, you know, might be thinking, hey, government debt or student loan debt, if you got yourself in over your head and you're just not making enough money to service the debt, you might think there's nothing that you can do, but absolutely there are options. And as soon as it's been seven years since you were last a student, and there's even some exceptions for five years, so definitely talk to the experts here, but as soon as it's been seven years, student loans is like any other debt. It can be restructured. It can be reduced or eliminated with either a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy. 
Excellent. Okay. So let's talk about um, a recent client of yours, mm-hmm. a heavy equipment mechanic who lost his business or yeah. just doing business? Well, he lost his business. Mm. Um, so that's the most gratifying part of my job is I get to meet, you know, just incredibly diverse people and almost to a person, they're honest people. They've just had some bad things happen to them. And they just need some help. So in this situation, um, you'll be well aware, we'd all recall a couple of seasons ago, there was an incredible wildfire season. There were entire mm. communities that were destroyed. And obviously I'll protect my client's confidentiality and not tell you the exact community, but this is a place that was just decimated. Right. Um, he was 45 years old, came to see me in Vancouver. And what happened was, you know, a couple of years ago, he had lost all of his business due to fire. Um, and he did, you know, what he thought was the right thing to do in those situations. Uh, what he did was every dollar that he had, he paid to his employees. He paid them out their vacation pay. Mm-hmm. He paid them out, you know, their severance, even though perhaps he wasn't legally obligated to do so. He tried to keep all of his suppliers um, whole. You know, it's again, small town business. You don't, you, your name means everything. But the challenge was the money that he should have paid to CRA by the letter of the law. It just wasn't there at the end of the day. He had, you know, basically diverted it off to do the things that he thought was morally right. Um, and that definitely makes makes you feel better. But at the end of the day, um, CRA had, had started to garnish his wages. So okay. he came to see me in Vancouver and CRA was taking 30% of his take-home pay. Wow. Yeah. And, that's, and that's CRA. And then there's all the other costs of just living, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. You know, he's a very, you know, very well-skilled individual. So he had his own shop, you know, where he was living before. Now in Vancouver, he's working for someone else. So, you know, he doesn't have the risk of having his own business. But, you know, when he gets his paycheck, 30% off the top um, is going to deal with, you know, a massive CRA debt. When he came in to see me, we had estimated it was probably about $90,000 and he had total debts of about $115,000. That sounds uh, like a really enormous challenge to take on. Yeah. What, how did you help him solve this? You know, first thing we do is we just, we get a sense of the situation. So we met for a good hour. We understood everything that happened in the situation and what was the current current status. And we figured out right away, we've got to stop this garnishy. As we mentioned, you know, people paying so much money for rent. You can imagine if you're only earning 70% of what you're really entitled to, um, you know, he's get he was getting further behind each month. Um, you know, like any of my clients, if there's an ability to avoid bankruptcy, most people are pretty interested in hearing about that. Um, and that's exactly what we tried to do here. So we filed a consumer proposal. So we met pretty intensively over a couple of weeks, got all the information together. Uh, and then we figured out that of his $115,000, he could probably afford to repay about 29% of the total. So about $33,000. And we structured that in monthly payments of $550, uh, which immediately was less than what he was losing to, to CR. So as soon as he filed the proposal, I was able to stop the garnishee, stop his wages from being taken. And the proposal we offered was $550 a month, which wouldn't go on forever. A proposal by law can last only as long as five years. So it wasn't the rest of his life he was going to be dealing with this tax debt. Uh, It was actually going to be a proposal that if CRA accepted, it was going to be done within five years, him paying back about 29%. So that sounds like happy ending to me. Well, you would think so, but... uh, (laughs) But not always that straightforward oh, because, isn't it? well, what sometimes happens too is, you know, we do our proposal based on our best estimate of what's going on here. So there were a few things that were still outstanding. There were some returns that hadn't been assessed. And originally we thought the CRA debt was about $90,000. What happened was CRA came back to us and said, well, now we've already assessed everything and the number isn't 90000 anymore. It's actually $388,000. I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> the two of you just didn't kind of faint at that point. Well, I 
I've been down this road before. And what, what we said was, you know what, we're just going to take it one step at a time. And we're going to say, you know, we know what you can afford. And, you know, you can't afford four times the proposal you're offering. You're offering them five fifty a month. And that was for about $90,000 of debt. Everyone's got to be reasonable here. Yes. And I have conversations with CRA all the time where the substance of it is, I'm a taxpayer, the individual's a taxpayer, and so is CRA. Let's do what's best at the end of the day for the overall recovery to taxpayers while still being fair to the individual involved. Okay. So we went back and we looked very closely at his budget. And, you know, we thought we had used a pretty sharp pencil before to figure out, you know, 550 per month was what he could afford. Um, but, you know, we knew if we, if we don't do anything here, if the debt has really increased, that CRA is not going to be willing to accept the proposal. So we looked again closely at the budget. We even, you know, spoke to some family members who said, you know, maybe we can we'd help. We have some dinners together or different things like that. You know, we can offset some of the entertainment budget and things like that. So we got a bit creative. We increased the proposal from $550 a month to $750. And that's a pretty big jump. It is. Yeah, yeah, it's taking him from thirty-three thousand to forty-five thousand. Yeah. Well, let's remember the debt went from ninety to three hundred and eighty-eight. So, right. And I was uh, just thinking about the monthly payment mm-hmm. of five fifty to seven fifty. Right. So, uh, but yeah, on the grand scale of things, if that's what the proposal ended up being worth with forty-five thousand, mm-hmm. then that's not too bad. Well, yeah, because originally we were offering him or offering to the creditors about twenty-nine percent of the debt. Which yes. anyone that's listened to our show for a long time, I'm always saying, you know, it's thirty to fifty percent, maybe twenty to forty, something like that, in the ballpark of a proposal. We were right there, but when the numbers get so big, um, you know, again, him offering thirty percent of almost four hundred thousand, that's just not going to be in the cards, no matter what. Right. Um, so his revised offer that CRA accepted again at seven fifty per month was for eleven percent of the total debt. 11%. It was accepted. He's working to pay it off. Again, from everybody involved, this is the best possible result because he could have went into bankruptcy and it would have been close to a zero recovery for everybody. He wanted to avoid that. Again, very honest, ethical gentleman, paid all of his last dollars to his employees and didn't even want to leave the government hanging either. But again, reasonably, this is what he could afford and everyone's happy at the end of the day. I, I, I just think it's like a perfect solution for I know I know consumer proposals work for so many people but this is like perfect for this guy yeah. because he did all the right things yeah. tried to do everything right all the way along um, and to be rewarded this way with this kind of proposal, that's that's really a good news story. Yeah, and, and you know that's why I'm talking about it here today because, again, I see a lot of clients all the time, but there are some that you know stick out to me about a situation where, like you said, Elaine, the solution was the right answer to the problem, it was reasonable, and we just got to an excellent outcome here. Excellent. So moral of the story? Well, moral of the story is, you know, even if tax debt seems like it's insurmountable, if it's a massive number, and even when we get, you know, thrown some curveballs later on, you know, if we thought the debt was one thing, but the number actually changes, don't lose hope. It's almost every case we can still reach a good good settlement with a consumer proposal. Nice. Okay. So number two example. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one a, a little bit um, less going on here, but I still think something that's useful or interesting to our to our viewers. So this was a 32-year-old gentleman who came in to see me, very stressed about his debts. He wasn't sleeping. All he was doing was thinking about all the money that he couldn't pay off. When I asked him, you know, what's your objective for coming to see me? He just said, I just need to make the, st- the stress stop. It's killing me. And again, 32 years old, working well, had a, had a good income per month. Uh, he had gotten into trouble due to overspending and a bit mis- mismanagement. He said, you know, I just didn't pay attention in my 20s. I'd go out, I'd put the card down. I wouldn't care too much about it. And he had came to see me with $38,000 of debt, including some credit cards, lines of credit, and some payday and installment loans. 
He was earning about $3,500 a month, uh, which again, should be pretty good. But all he was doing was paying minimum payments, being all stressed out and not sleeping, not eating. It was going down a bad direction. Right. So a solution for him once Mm -hmm. you went through everything. Yeah. So right from the first meeting, I could see he was starting to, you know, breathe better, you know, more deeply, really calm (laughs) down, understanding, okay, there is some hope here. There are some other options. Uh, We filed the consumer proposal in his case to repay $16,800 of his $38,000 of debt. So in this case, about 44% of the total, so a little on the higher end of what we usually do. But more in line, a little more in line with what your average is. Yeah, typically, yeah. Yeah. Again, usually we're in the 30 to 50% mark. So about 44% of the debt was repaid, monthly payments of $280 he could easily afford on his $3,500 a month income. No stress, no collection calls, just a really good, reasonable solution to his situation. Excellent. So if any part of these stories about real people, uh, if they sound familiar or they resonate with you in any way, go see Sands and Associates. They've helped these folks get out of debt. Um, and that's, and with a consumer proposal. And if you haven't heard about that before, then that's even one more reason to go see, uh, Blair Manton, Sands and Associates. They've got offices all over British Columbia. For more information, check out their website, sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Ian Speckman's on the line with us from Maple Ridge Chrysler. Ian's a dealer principal at Maple Ridge Chrysler. Uh, he, uh, and Maple Ridge Chrysler, part of one of Canada's largest auto groups, Auto Canada, 57 dealerships across the country. It's interesting, Ian's got a cool history. He's been in the business for about 32 years, started out as the guy lot jockey when he was 18 and uh, worked his way up from there to sales associate, general man- sales manager, general sales manager, and now the dealer principal. Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So we're talking about the the uh, gist of this segment is called getting more miles for your money and how folks can think about a car purchase before they take that first step. What, do you want to talk about your experience in dealing with folks who are considering a car purchase? What are the things that they should be thinking about the most before they walk in your door? Well, you know, preparation is uh, the most important thing. You know, prepare, figure out what your needs actually are. What is it going to be a family vehicle? Is it long-term ownership? Is it short-term? Are you going to be uh, changing vehicles? And so really, you know, sit down with your family and figure out what it's going to be you're going to need so that we can better help you put together a package that will work for you. Now, there's a lot of costs in getting a car, uh, one of which, and probably one of the most important ones, is that maintenance issue. Uh and what kind of what kind of percentage do we should I be thinking about before I come in the door, and what I'm going to spend for maintaining the vehicle? Well, we figure that uh, an average ownership of a car over the next five years, you're going to be spending about three thousand dollars. Is going to be the average maintenance you're going to be spending on your vehicle. Make sure it's running in a top order. And that's in total, Ian, over the over the five year term. Yeah, that's about that's about what you're going to be looking at. Yeah, does be including your replacement of your adding your winter tires and things like that. Does that vary by, you know, car type or brand? Are there certain, you know, brands that are, are more economical than others? Well, certainly that I'm, I'm looking more at the domestic side of the world. Mm-hmm. Once you start to get into the uh, imports, you're slightly more. 
but you get into the luxury brands, the uh, Audis and the Mercedes, um, you can take that and easily double it, if not triple it. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the expense of having that nice luxury in your driveway. What about some tips, Ian, for folks that are thinking about uh, getting a new vehicle, or is or is that the first thing they should think about, new vehicle versus a gently used vehicle? Well, that uh, goes back down to the same thing we started at the very beginning, is like, what, what are you going to be using it for? Is this, if it's a short-term purchase where you're going to be having it two, three years, definitely look at a used vehicle. You know, something at current model year, maybe two years old, but not much older than that, something still has warranty. Um, but if you're looking long-term where you're going to keep that vehicle for the next seven to eight years, that the, the financing that the manufacturers now offer is for those terms, obviously a new vehicle will give you better service because you'll have longer warranty. The vehicle will last you longer. You'll have the opportunity to actually make that car yourself as far as maintenance, looking after it, doing the things that you want to make it your own personal vehicle. I have my dad's voice in the back of my head saying, you know, the moment you drive that car off the lot, you loot, you know, brand new car off the lot, you've got to think about that depreciation. Your dad was so right. <laughs> we, we, we quite often uh, make reference to it as you're trying to make the best bad decision you're going to. And, and buying a car really isn't a great idea. Maybe we should take the city bus, but it doesn't sit in your driveway. It's not there when you want it to. It doesn't uh, necessarily be a piece of your family or represent who you are as far as style and class, but, you know, that's the price you pay, and you get the luxury and the enjoyment of it. So what about buying a used vehicle? I know there's um, some things to really pay attention to before you purchase it. What are the kinds of questions that I should be asking you? Well, you want to get the history of the vehicle. Where did it come from? Um, A lot of the newer used cars um, will be ex-rentals, and Quite frankly, your ex-rentals is probably a very good, safe place to buy a car. The cars are maintained. The manufacturers make sure the cars are maintained. The, the rental companies can't put cars out that aren't operating properly. Um, I would probably have a good look at um, any kind of accident history on it. Um, and that today, is again, is not the same as it used to be because you can take a headlight out in a car and it can be a couple thousand dollars. So really get some good detail if there was any damage on there. If there was damage, you should be paying less for the car, um, only because you're going to get less when you go to trade it in. That's unfortunate, uh, but that's just a fact. Um, check car packs, car proof. Um, make sure that the dealer, uh, or even privately, um, that you get the history search on it. And I would go with a car fax. I'm sorry, my apologies, car proof. Car fax doesn't give as much coverage as car proof. Um, it's the best $56 you can spend on uh, getting history in a car, especially if you're buying privately, because you, once you buy privately, you have very little recourse if there is any issues. Whereas you buy from a dealer, um, we have representatives, representatives to actually look after that. Um, we stand behind it, and if there's a problem, we can always find you something different or give you back your money. Yeah, it's a pretty efficient system. I've used that a couple of times when I've purchased vehicles uh, of getting the history, and it's pretty available for a dealership or a, or a salesperson before you before you purchase the car to find out the exact history. Yeah, we most dealerships will run a car a car a car proof on it. Um, when we buy them from auctions, they provide us that information. So it's it's pretty much the standard in the industry today. But what? again, if you're going private, that's where you have to be cautious. Right, absolutely. And do I have it? Is there a, a private way of finding out the car history if I'm buying it privately uh, from my neighbor, let's say? 
just log in to gar, uh, carproof.com uh, and okay. uh, pay your $56 and they'll spit it out for you. Okay, perfect. Okay, I don't think that I don't think that was around uh, in my last purchase. So that's interesting to know. What about out of province cars, Ian? Do I have to pay attention to that where that vehicles come from? Yeah, certainly, you know, there's there's out of province cars. Um, yeah, be uh, somewhat cautious. You know, Quebec region tends to be very harsh on cars. Ontario somewhat. Hmm. Um, Yukon, things like that. But you could actually be in northern British Columbia and have as a harder time on the car as you're going to be in Calgary, or actually Calgary, probably less problems. Um, some of the provinces don't use as much salt as uh, other areas do. So you know, check your out of province. I'd avoid like the Quebec cars, um, the, the very far, far north cars. But you know, get the cars inspected, um, get a private inspection, dealerships. Do have licensed mechanics that their licenses are theirs, not the dealership. So they do a thorough inspection because it's their name they're putting on the line, not the dealership. So they're very cautious on what how they um, you know, inspect your vehicle to make sure they give you a proper and accurate uh, information, make a, a good judgment call. But you can also use BCAA or any of the third parties um, and have a good look at it because you know again it might cost you fifty dollars to save you thousands down the road. Now, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense, Ian. Um, you know, the idea of, of our show is we want to be able to give people tips all the time, you know, to, to live a better financial life, more secure, and, and cost savings. Now, this might be something that you think you're saving money when you're not, because I know sometimes people try to do their own car maintenance, but there can be some pitfalls to avoid. So I wonder if you can give us just a quick sense of, you know, what is something you could perhaps do yourself if you're a little mechanically inclined, and other things you should absolutely not do, because you might void a warranty and cost yourself a whole lot more money in the end. Well, we, we have uh, underneath the uh, Chrysler cars, we have these, these points that are called yellow spots, and it's the dipstick, it's the fuel filler, and the washer fluid. We say you're allowed to touch the yellow spots for us, <laughs> a trained technician to. Um, the problem is if you do it yourself, you're not going to know the little things that the techs are going to know when they're looking at your car. They miss the slightest little thing, or you miss the slightest little thing. You could cause big problems, but change your oil, that's going to be a pretty safe one. Um, anything beyond that, I would really not do it. Um, you could rotate your tires, but quite frankly, make sure you have nitrogen in your tires and make sure you have, you know, tire pressures maintained. That's really going to make your tires last the longest. Um, really, uh, go, you know, either a, go to a, a service center. Obviously, I prefer you come to a dealership because, quite frankly, we have the trained technicians that can work on it faster and see problems and know how to head them off before they become major uh, issues. But uh, don't try it yourself unless you are a mechanic. Um, you don't have the tools anymore. They're very, very specific. They, I have a bench full of specialty tools to take out this one little part mm-hmm. um, that, that, uh, for every specific car. So trying to do it yourself is not a really good idea. I don't think you'll have a good result. That's great advice, Ian. Ian Speckman, that's who we've been talking to for Maple Ridge Chrysler, dealer principal of the operation. MapleRidgeChrysler.com is the website. You're listening to Elaine Scullin along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, and the show is called Dollars and Cents. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. 
For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com. That's their website. It's chock full of good information. Or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. On the line with us is Ian Fultz. Uh, And Ian uh, was a a client of Sands & Associates, which is uh, terrific in that he has uh, volunteered to share his story uh, so that you know we're, that Sands and Associates helps real people with real situations uh, get out of and, and get out of the bad situation. So, Ian, first of all, just thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Really great. So I guess the first question to get you started, can you tell us about the situation uh, that you were in that brought you to Sands and Associates? Well, I had filed a bankruptcy way back in 2006, and I, seven years later, I got out of that, no problems, 2013, all good to go, credit is, is good, I've got a decent job, things are going well, I'm working in voiceover, I'm working on my projects, and then all of a sudden, the job that I had that was giving me the money to do the stuff I needed to do, well, suddenly, that dried up. Oh, no. Hours were gone, and I, of course... And I couldn't believe it. Like I, I did it again. I didn't save enough money mm-hmm. to prepare for such a, a, a thing. And then the creditors started calling, and then I got letters from the lawyers, and that was the worst one. That's what kind of like made me stress out. Yeah, I wonder, Ian. Can you go into a little bit bit of detail? That so, what what was that like? You know, that the letters from the creditors and and the phone calls were they calling? You know, it's just a couple times a day, or was it you know pretty well incessant? Were they saying reasonable things, or kind of going beyond the pale? Yeah, that, there are so many things you said there that, that's true. What yeah. happened before, of course, I'm getting calls daily, right. in the morning, in the afternoon, at night. I'm trying to audition for voiceover, and suddenly I, the phone rings. And I'm like, oh. And I'm trying to do this on my own. Like, I'm thinking I can do this. If I can get, if I can get this gig, or if I can get that gig, or if I, you know, maybe get another job. You know, this one I'm not getting enough hours on. And I thought I could do it on my own. And that, the moment I got the letter from the lawyers about the credit card, mm. I went, okay, this is, this is too much. And then I started researching. One of the things uh, for me is, is I don't know everything, but Google mm-hmm. can help. And, <laughs> yep. and that's when I discovered consumer proposals. You just need to be careful if you've got a medical problem because everything you Google with regards to your health <laughs> seems, seems to lead with you're going to be gone in a couple of days. But, but yeah, yeah, pretty you, much. But you're right. For, from a financial point of view, yeah, so many of our clients, they come in and they've done so much background research. You know, they're, they're almost an expert at, to the point where they come in and say, you know, I want a consumer proposal. I know all this, this about the process. So was, was that your situation too? You started to figure out about this solution? Yeah, because I was first thinking, oh, gosh, I have to go bankrupt again. Mm-hmm. And then when I looked into it, the, the numbers just were like, oh, no, that's because I had previously gone bankrupt because I lost my job and, and lost my house and everything. Mm. Uh, and I thought, okay, I, I cleaned myself up. Oh, no, this is even worse. This is like five times worse. Mm. And I, was, I didn't know what to do. And then I heard consumer proposal. And I got into that. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I might qualify for this. And it was such a, um, an uplifting weight off my shoulders when I went into the office. Mm-hmm. And they said to me, okay, yeah, yeah, this is it. When I did the numbers, I thought it was going to be X amount. It was less than the X amount. And I was like, oh, wow. And then I got to call the lawyers that had sent me the letter. <laughs> That's said, usually my job, yeah, Ian. <laughs> talk to them. Yep. <laughs> 
Oh no, and and that's that's great. And so yeah, we'll, we'll go a little bit bit slow on a couple of things that you said there. But yeah, you know, the, the calling the lawyers, I can imagine you took some satisfaction out of that. And like you said, you say talk to Sands because they're they're involved, and that's exactly what our clients get to do. So I notify everybody that somebody owes money to. Um, but yeah, if they call again, or if you wanted to call them yourself as you did, that's fine too. You can say I'm fully protected and and talk to my trustee. Um, and you yeah. also hit on Ian that yeah, if there has been a previous bankruptcy, um, the system is punitive, and I don't necessarily agree with it. In fact, I think it is a, a pretty tough, tough punitive situation um, because if you had filed a first bankruptcy, it might have been over in nine months. Um, a second bankruptcy, the shortest that could ever be is two years, twenty-four months, and in most cases, it's thirty-six months. So that's you know four that's times. That's exactly as long. what I was looking at. Yeah, so nine months to thirty-six months, um, and the the bigger thing too, and I have a lot of people really hit on this when they're deciding, you know, do I do bankruptcy again or do I do a consumer proposal? Is the credit rating impact? It's fourteen years if it's a second time bankruptcy. Yeah, that was that's another factor too. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And really affects the credit rating. And what, what really shocked me uh, is is all the mistakes that I've made over the last 25 years have really impacted not only my, my credit, but my ability to get a job even. Mm. Um, one time when I was in the military, uh, I lost uh, my credit rating because I didn't pay a credit card in time. And because of that, I was being uh, audited for my top secret clearance. Right. And the next thing you know, they're like, yeah, we, uh, we need you to make sure this thing is paid off. Otherwise, you're not getting your top secret clearance as a radio operator in the military. I was like, whoa, okay. Wow. And this was so just for an un- unpaid amazing. credit card bill or cell phone bill or something like that, right? Yeah. It can yeah. affect you. Yeah. It's huge. One of and the things... Again, like, yeah, sorry, keep go going, Ian. Sorry. Yeah. So one of the major things, uh, the funniest thing was, after I got the letter from the lawyers, after I talked to Sands and Associates, after I called those lawyers to let them know what's going on, I got another letter from them. Hey, just just pay us half, and we'll be we'll be fine. And I oh, isn't that interesting? Hey, mm-hmm. wow. Um, so what did you, so what did you do then? Did you let Sands and Associates do the next correspondence with the lawyers, or did you? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the next thing. It had to be done that way because, as far as that's concerned, well, now they're they're representing all the creditors, not just that one credit card. Right. All the creditors that I had debts with. And then I work through them to get the, to to solve the issues. And another interesting thing that happened with my particular case: one of them declined, mm-hmm. and because of that, well, a year later, I'm like, I'm still getting phone calls from that one one person. I'm like, what's what's going on? And then I found out that they had declined. So I'm like, I call them up. I'm like, sorry guys, you you had your chance. Mm-hmm. Bye. You know. Yeah, yeah. they could get the money on, on their own. Ian is super involved in his process, but n- but not everybody gets as involved as Ian does in, in their process and in a consumer proposal process. Do they, Blair? No, I'd, I'd say there, there's definitely a mix. You know, some of my clients, again, they they know exactly what they want when they come in the door. They've almost organized the proposal for themselves. And then, yeah, anybody that calls them, they're fine to, you know, have a quick chat with. Uh, but yeah, most of the time, that's all of our job. So, um, Ian, when you hit on that one person said no to the proposal, I love that as the power of the proposal is all I need is 50% by dollar value of the creditor to say yes. And as soon as we get that, it doesn't matter if it's the government that said no, if it's, you know, uh, a family debt, if it's anybody else, as long as I've got 50% of your creditors that say yes, you don't have to deal with that debt at all. It's legally bound as part of the proposal. Um, so I know when you spoke to them and they, and they kept calling, they, they eventually had to stop. And, you know, I get calls regularly, oh, this collector won't back off. I'm like, well, you give me his name and his phone number and I'm going to stop it within the day because this is violating federal law. There's no gray area here. They're not allowed to call once a proposal has been filed. 
And I want to add, too, uh, and then we'll get back to your story, Ian, um, the legally bound part. Now, you say that, and you, Blair, and you say it so easily, it just kind of rolls out. Mm-hmm. But that's the, the most significant piece about dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee is that, that you guys are federally regulated and you're you're given this power and permission to do this work on behalf of a client and people have to pay attention to that. Yeah. No, that's well said, Elaine. Yeah. Ian, I wonder are, if you're comfortable sharing any, you know, whether it's the percentage of debt that you paid back or like the mul- monthly payment you were doing in the proposal compared to what they wanted you to pay in all of your minimum payments. Because usually I find that that's a pretty positive moment in the meeting with, with someone who comes in to see me if they don't know what a proposal payment is going to be. And I say, well, you know, you're probably paying $1,000 just in interest. Your proposal payment can be 200 or $250. Um, you know, sometimes they come across the table, they're, they're so happy. So I wonder what was that situation like for you? What were the numbers like if you're comfortable to give us a ballpark? Well, I am a numbers man. I love numbers. <laughs> yep. Numbers are awesome. Yep. And, no, and the, the relief, the, sh- the shock, okay, well, first I did the numbers myself and I figured, oh, okay, I'll reduce my, my debt payments from 600 a month to 250. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, the main reason why is like, I, I could have kept going if I kept having the right income. But mm-hmm. since I lost all that income, it was just, it, I, there's no, nothing else I could do. I had to do this. In fact, when I approached Sands and Associates, I was just getting a job uh, recently with uh, Coca-Cola. And if it wasn't for me getting that job, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in today. And the numbers are pretty simple. 600 bucks a month down to two, 175. Wow, that's And that's, that's it for the And I'm almost done. I got like two years, less than two years to go. And mm-hmm. I'm putting, I'm actually putting more than 175 down. That's another thing. You can add more money. If you got the money, you can put it more onto it and get this thing done quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's a great point, Ian. I'd say the majority of my clients, you know, propose we might set it for five years, but I have people coming in all the time saying I was able to work extra shifts or I got a tax refund or something, and they either put down extra payments to take a break or they just try to finish it off sooner because then you can rebuild your credit more quickly. But yeah, looking at, you said, I think over $600 a month, the minimum payments and the proposal at 175 yeah, that's right on that, you know, usually right around a third or so. It, it really is. Those are good numbers. So, Ian... Yeah, and I was... Yes. Yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry. And uh, the, 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 big, the, the biggest thing was the weight off the shoulders. Uh, the, the number one, I cannot forget this, is the lawyers sending me that letter. That scared me. Like, whoa, they're really pushing. And I, I, need to, I need to solve this on my end. And the only way I could find out was, was through consumer proposal. So, Ian, at the end, so, so now that you're in this place of uh, paying, paying, paying this debt with the consumer proposal, what has changed for you? Because you've sort of been in two situations now. How have you changed your attitude or are you doing things differently when it comes to your finances? And before you answer that question, I just want to add, you know, when you when we started talking to you, you said, you know, I didn't have enough money saved in order to um, cushion myself because I lost this job. Uh, so many people are in the exact same position as you. And so I, I just don't want you to feel bad for one second because, oh my gosh, uh, the the numbers of people who are in the exact same position as you that don't have that safety net or that piggy bank full to carry them over for a few months is enormous. So I, I wanted to say that. But, but go back to the uh, attitudes and things. How are you looking at things differently or what are you doing differently now? Well, one of the biggest things is budgeting myself. So I figured out exactly how much I need to uh, pay out in a month and I'm making sure I'm, I'm working the hours that I need and I'm getting the, the, the gigs that I luckily can get for voiceover. 
Uh, one of the big ones was uh, I got a, an anime gig. I was working on a Japanese anime, and I took all that money and I put it aside. It, I don't touch right. it. <laughs> it's not <Right>. mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's part of my savings. And then I start paying myself from the, the work that I'm doing now. I give myself 10% of my net income every two weeks, and I throw that in another account I can't, I can't touch unless I absolutely need it. And that's the biggest change in my life is being able to pay myself first then pay everybody else. Ian, we're going to wrap up right now. I just want to say if any of this information is resonating with our listener uh, and you're thinking, I know somebody, or maybe maybe you're hearing your, your own situation in Ian's, uh, go to Sands and Associates, their website. It's sands-trustee.com or give them a call 1-800-661-3030 and get that free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So debt can come from all kinds of places, not just credit cards. I Mm -hmm. think that's the first thing probably people think of. Um, So let's look at other debts that can show up that can cause all kinds of problems for us. Yeah, I'd say almost every client that we have has a credit card. You know, it's probably high 90 percentile and things like that. But there's a bunch of other debts that, yeah, unless you've you've been in this debt, you might not even know it exists. Um, I think the point of today's segment is we can fix just about everything. And here's a bunch of other types of debts um, that we can potentially help with. But let's talk about each of the debts, how they arise and what you can do with them. Yeah. And I want to just throw in there, we're talking about a licensed insolvency trustee, Mm -hmm. an LIT. They're the ones who, which Blair is one. They're the folks that can actually help you uh, manage all kinds of these, all the debts. Yeah, we're the only person you need to see. If you've got a debt problem in Canada, we can help. So some types of debt that most people would think of as being a cause of problems would be credit mm-hmm. cards for sure. Yep. Uh, overdrafts, I guess so. It's not mm-hmm. very. I'm not very familiar with the whole overdraft idea, mm-hmm. but I guess people do get into problems with it. Oh yeah, and I see that with you know some people, if they've had an account with the bank for 20 years, they might have a $10,000 overdraft, a $20,000 overdraft. You know, the average person might have 500 bucks or something like that, okay. just in case they, you know, write a check or something that goes a bit bigger. But yeah, overdraft can be a significant problem. And lines of credit, certainly. I, mm-hmm. I know that uh, I'm familiar with that. Oh yeah. So, something to keep in something to keep tabs on for sure. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the other ones other than those three. Yeah, let's start with the big one. Uh, so Canada Revenue Agency, Huge. tax debts. So we talk about this a lot on the, on the program here, and CRA is probably the worst person you could owe money to um, because they've got the most power and also the least ability to compromise on that debt unless you're actually dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee. So how this often arises um, is you know either somebody is self-employed, and when you're self-employed, nobody tells you that you now got to be your own accountant, your own bookkeeper, your own tax preparer, and if you do something wrong or don't put the money aside, well, the government's going to come asking you for that money next year and you might not have it. Yeah. You know, sometimes it happens when you're working a second job. You know, you think you're doing everything right by increasing your income, but you don't tell the second employer that now you're going to be in a higher tax bracket, so they should be withholding more tax from you and you end up with a tax bill. Or you yourself don't think of that to yeah. put that money aside exactly. so you've got it at the end of the year. And that's very challenging to mm-hmm. do. So however it happens, you know, the end result is you owe the government some money and they start sending you these notices that say, hey, you know, include full payment with your response back to this letter or else we're going to take some action against you. And what that action is, again, more so than any other creditor without even suing you, they can go straight to your employer 
They can take up to 30% of your wages. Um, they can go straight to your bank account and take everything that's in there. Um, and if you own real estate, they can go and register on title um, to that real estate and make sure they get paid when you sell. So if you've got some tax debt, it's really important that you come in and you talk to a licensed insolvency trustee and we figure out what we can do to keep CRA at bay and work out a deal. And we can safely say, talk to an LIT, not a credit counselor. Absolutely. And not a, what the other one was, the agency. Yeah, that, debt settlement debt agency. Debt settlement no. agency. The only person that can ever make a deal in your tax debt is going to be a licensed insolvency trustee. Now, is that the same situation with a student loan if I happen mm-hmm. to be somebody who's got a, a huge student loan at this point? Yeah, exactly. Now, with, with a student loan, the remedies are still the same, meaning that it's a government debt. It doesn't go away over time, and they theoretically could come and take your wages or your assets. But most of the time with student loans, they're a lot more reasonable. You know, oh. They tend to look at the situation. You, know, didn't, you didn't get the student loan because you were self-employed and didn't pay tax. You got this student loan because you tried to go to school to invest in yourself. And, you know, if things aren't working out after graduation, often they're more reasonable in their collections. Now, it does hit, you know, eventually a limit point where they're not going to wait forever. And if you can't make any payments, eventually they're going to be just like Canada Revenue Agency and start to seize wages or take assets. Um, But typically it takes a little bit longer for them to get to that point than just a tax debt. And again, the output here is you can absolutely make a deal on your student loans. You have to do it as part of a consumer proposal or as part of a bankruptcy. And as we talked about a few times, when you have student debt in Canada, there's at least a five-year waiting period from when you graduate to when that debt can be reduced. So you got to graduate, make your best efforts to, to pay the debt back, and then you can deal with a trustee. That's a really important point, too. It's not something you can get looked after right away. Mm-hmm. You've got to make an effort and, and then not be able to look after it anymore. Yeah, that's right. Okay. What about payday loans? Yeah, payday loans. Um, you know, this one I've often called the crack cocaine of debt um, yeah. because Ugh. it's you know it's it's the easiest to access. It's very inexpensive theoretically to start to get into it, um, but it never stops at just one payday loan. It often escalates to the point where people have five payday loans, ten, even fifteen outstanding at a certain time. So usually payday loans are a big warning sign that if you were deciding about, hey, I'm going to phone the trustee or I'm going to get a payday loan to get me through, to, you know, to the next payday phone the trustee instead yeah. uh, because I speak to so many people, the payday loan cycle, all it did was delay them getting help by six months or 12 months or something like that. And they didn't feel good about it the whole time because they knew they were paying 400, 500% interest on the funds. Every loan they get, they have to take another one to pay it back. Um, so yeah, it can be a very, very difficult cycle to get out of. And think about that, four or 500%. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh yeah, it's theoretically illegal, but there's a carve out for specific payday loans. Oh. So yeah, they're able to do it. I know the government, you know, every year they change the regulations a bit and you know, now it's lower than it was, but it, it's still very ridiculous, just the, the costs and fees on it. Uh, with payday loans, no special status whatsoever. If you file a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, you can absolutely reduce that debt just like anybody else. And I would say to folks out there, if you've got a bunch of payday loans and you know they're threatening you with collection agencies and different things like that, talk to a trustee because odds are if it's a fairly small amount of money, they're never going to sue you and we can tell you what you can do to get some of the power back in that relationship. Okay. Co-signing. I think this is one of the most important things that we talk about on this show uh, because mm-hmm. I had no idea of the stipulations that come along with co-signing for someone's debt. You're trying to help them out, give them a hand up. Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your grandkids, who knows, Mm -hmm. but... It's huge. Let's talk about that. Yeah, in, in the the book when life bites you in the wallet that I co-authored with uh, Leanne Davies, you know, we have a page in there that says, you know, when is it right to co-sign? 
The answer is almost never. It almost never makes sense. And in just about every situation that I've been involved in with Sands and Associates, the folks that have co-signed did so never thinking that they would have to be called to account for that debt. So, you know, it's often it's a parent who puts their name on the the son or daughter's line of credit for university, or it's someone that goes on the mortgage because they couldn't qualify otherwise, or it's someone that gets a supplementary card on a credit card account and doesn't realize they're actually going to be responsible for the balance there. So this the basically commonality there is you need to understand if you co-sign something, it's what's called joint and several liability, meaning if they don't pay, you have to pay 100%. It's not 50-50 or anything like that. And if you've co-signed a debt and the person files for bankruptcy or does a proposal, you'll be on the hook for that entire debt. So before you co-sign, think through the absolute worst case, be prepared that you may have to pay this debt. And that usually causes people to think twice before signing their name. Really important. MSP premiums, how do they work? How do they fit into this? MSP premiums are very similar um, you know, to government debt, to Canada Revenue Agency, and to student loans. Um, so not every province has MSP premiums. And you know, oftentimes, if you've got a big MSP debt, the reason you weren't paying MSP is probably because your income was really low. And when you go through and file your taxes, that MSP debt might actually disappear because some of it is geared to income. But what doesn't disappear, you're able to deal with, with either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. Um, MSP, I have seen them take collection actions against folks, you know, with collection aid agencies with seizing wages, seizing assets. So not something you can ignore, but before you worry about MSP, worry about getting your tax filing caught up first, because oftentimes that debt will go away. I like this. And I I just want to repeat this part Mm -hmm. again on our notes here for this segment. The MSP premium calculations are driven by your tax return filings. So if your taxes aren't filed to date and you haven't heard from MSP, you can probably expect a bill waiting for you, which I don't You know, that was a surprise to me when I first learned that. Oh, yeah, they'll charge you the maximum unless you give them better information. Um, so yeah, rather than being worried about it, get the taxes filed. And there's there's no benefit in this world of not filing your taxes. The worst thing you can be with Sierra is not to owe them money. It's to be someone that hasn't filed taxes. So even if it's going to be bad news, do the filing. Sierra is going to be less likely to collect aggressively against you if you filed rather than if you haven't filed. Okay. And the last segment or last piece of this discussion about shortfalls, mortgage, foreclosure, vehicle financing, that's a certainly a debt that we we have all either currently have or have had. Yeah, so I, you know, definitely, you know, mortgage shortfall. If CMHC has insured your mortgage and the place goes into foreclosure, CMHC keeps the lender whole, but they come to you for that shortfall. So again, another government debt. You got to be really careful and face it head on. Give Sands and Associates a call. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Sands and Associates, easy to access. for that free consultation or their website, sands-trustee.com. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.